Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to simplecast.com, first and last word in podcasts, who have kindly come on board as our first ever sponsor. Dan Ram is amazing and you will really enjoy this podcast discussion. You'll learn how actually make money as a speaker and how as an MC, you get invited back a hell of a lot more than you get invited back as a speaker. Even if you're a fantastic speaker, conference organizers need new faces. But if you're a fantastic MC, they will love the security that you can provide. And that's what Dan Ram does for his organizers. Let's listen in and see how he does it. Welcome to the Fireside with Box Geek podcast. And today we have Dan Ram with us. Hey, Dan, how are you doing? So good. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome. Before we get started, I would say uh, go right now to the links and check out Dan's online presence um, because I was just blown away by it. Talk about execution. Uh, how much effort did you put into that, Dan? <laughs> it's continuous. It's not a one-time thing. So everything, I mean, the, even the website right now, we are switching from Squarespace to WordPress just to allow for a little bit more interaction uh-huh. to get a cool video playing in the background. But when it comes to social media content, it is literally daily. I am creating content every couple hours uh, when it comes to stories and the organic stuff. And then I've got a team of videographers and graphic designers who are putting out content every day. This is the other side to speaking, especially speaking professionally, which is the importance of promoting yourself and having a kind of regular schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a habit, really, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, there was a couple of different reasons that I was inspired. I think a couple of years ago, it was watching YouTube and just seeing all these new forms of media, you know, these shorter bits that were equally captivating and engaging and just going, wow, I mean, to tell a good story. I mean, that's what we do on stage as speakers, but can you capture people's imagination on screen, on their phones? And this is still before people were addicted to their phones. And thankfully, I don't know, thankfully, but over the years, it's become apparent that most content is now being consumed via a phone. And so I'm glad that I started on the social media then like many, 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 many years ago, started exploring this. But the other reason for this, Richard, is simply because I love promoting and sharing great stories, great people, and great ideas, right? In all these tech conferences, that's why I'm the host. That's why I'm the MC, is to shine the light on good people. And I started getting fed up with really great ideas getting lost simply because mm. founders and leaders could not tell the story well or could not promote themselves. I'm like, these are ideas that deserve to be mainstream. And yet it's simply because they could not harness the power of social media, you'd have great ideas disappear. And so I decided before I could help others, I got to figure out myself. And so that was probably the other inspiration is how do we use 
the tools of the 21st century, the attention span of the modern man and woman, and how do we engage these new audiences to ideas that are actually worth our attention? Did you find it was like a slow burn to get it going? What I found with my own social media and presence is, well, of course, we can't do this anymore because the world has changed. But when I spoke at conferences, you'd always get a little bump. Mm-hmm. And that was the main way that I grew. Is that the same for you? Or did you find that there was substantial organic growth as well? Or do you speak so frequently that you can't really tell? <laughs> so pre-pandemic, I was doing about 100 events a year. So it's wow. about two to three a week. And therefore, um, the speaking is continuous. I don't have specific seasons or segments where I'm on stage and other times I'm off. Uh, uh, there is a bump around when I'm on stage. But I'll tell you the truth. I'm actually really bad at promoting myself when I'm on stage. I firmly believe my primary purpose to be on stage is for the audience. It is not for myself. So besides a, an intro video that plays right before I come on stage, I don't talk about my social media accounts. I don't sell uh, courses or books. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, I, I actually hold in very high regard people that know how to capitalize on that stage time and know how to leverage that to promote uh, you know, products and services. I love that. I'm not against it at all. But for me personally, I just haven't gotten to that. And so what I do is I just quietly create stuff on the side. I make sure that I'm super interesting and I stand out and I differentiate on stage. And then people's curiosity makes them Google me. And when they Google me, they'll find me. So that was the goal is if someone has extra interest and looks me up, can they find me? And that's been the purpose. So that's why for me, you'll see that my engagement is super high because I don't have just fans. I have people who actually are interested in the intersection of, say, events, innovation, technology, the future, who want to get behind the scenes scoop on some of the biggest decision makers, millionaire, billionaire investors, some of the top entrepreneurs in the world. And it's that crowd that are following me, which is why my engagement is very high and equally my engagement. So I respond to every single comment. I respond to every single direct message that comes to me on any platform. And so curating a niche audience has been more important to me than just having a big following. Um, and so I don't mind if it's a slow burn. Is that something that just happened or was that a deliberate strategy? I think it just happened. It wasn't a deliberate oh. strategy. I mean, I did do an MBA at Trinity in the beautiful country that you are in right now. And I have an economics degree from Yale. So I mean, like I naturally am strategic. I naturally think in these kind of uh, formats of, you know, who's the target audience and where's the low hanging fruit and, uh, you know, what is a marketing strategy six months? I do naturally think that way, but some stuff just comes around my own motto of start now, start simple. I didn't have a five-year plan when I started creating content. I just pulled out my phone and I spoke to it and I posted it. But then I follow it. I check in, I study, I research, I learn. So... I'd say part and part, you know, part was gut, like, let's do it. Got to jump in. Uh, I'll figure the rest out as I go. And also actively being a student, you know, studying it, observing it, researching and growing. Okay. Most speakers that I talk to are selling courses and books. So I'm just going to go for the killer question here, Dan. <laughs> How do you make a living? Well, a lot of different ways. And yeah. I think part of it is... 
pre-speaker mode, I had seven jobs I was doing simultaneously. So I've always been comfortable (laughs) having multiple revenue streams. So at one point, uh, I think, what would it be? 2015, 16-ish. When I was living in Dublin, I was the advisor to the Department of Jobs, Enterprise and Innovation uh, on a task force that was coming up with an entrepreneurship policy. I was an adjunct lecturer in entrepreneurship at DIT and a guest lecturer at Trinity and some other uh, colleges. I was a radio show host. I was a voiceover artist. I was a performing musician with two bands. I was a consultant on international communication. I was the founder of my own startup. I was also working uh, as an investor on the side. So like a partner, someone who found new deals for venture funds. I was doing all of... I don't know if I got to seven, but I was doing all of these things simultaneously. I think when I moved into speaking, my desire was similar. I had realized the importance of diversifying. And I think for any speaker that is listening, it's really important that you find multiple sources of income because something like this pandemic that we're going through Uh right now will wipe that out entirely, right? So I lost about a quarter of a million euro in opportunities in a period of about 10 days uh, at the start of this pandemic. That's painful, man. That is painful. Just in 10 days, just like bam, 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 out. And this is just another thing. Like if a speaker is curious about how I sign contracts and wants to know more of the details, I think it's a little too deep for for a podcast conversation. But I was able to recuperate some of those promised contracts simply because of how I wrote the contract. And so if someone has specifics on how do you negotiate a deal or write a contract, please get in touch with me. uh, And I'll help you with that. But a big chunk of my money comes from being on stage. But this whole social media thing we're talking about, essentially what I do now is I'll say, I'm your host or speaker on stage. And I'd also like to be your host and speaker online. And then they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, well, how many people are coming to your event? A thousand people? I can 5X that audience. I'll get 5,000 people viewing what's happening here. They're like, what? Or they're like, how many people do you have? 5,000 people? Good. I can get 25,000 eyeballs on what's happening here. So that becomes a really big sell. So now a secondary revenue stream is around the content I create online. So whether it's the form of Instagram stories, blogs that go up on YouTube or Twitter, a blog that I write on LinkedIn. And we use everything except for TikTok, which I will master and get on as well. Yeah, I tried to figure that one out myself. (laughs) Exactly. So... I am, uh, I guess the secondary revenue stream would be around the social media content that I create for events on their behalf using my content creators. A third is coaching. I absolutely love, absolutely love. It's so fulfilling to work with anyone from amateur all the way to professional speakers. Anyone who wants to level up, it's exciting for me. So I have professional speakers who have multiple gigs who go, teach me the business of it. Like, how does one make money from this? How does one get constant opportunities and deals? And I'm happy to work with them on that. But then I have amateur uh, speakers who are like, Dan, I just want to do a TEDx talk. So I've done five TEDx talks. And so they're like, I just want to do one. I want to figure out how to do the first one. Or like, I have stage fright and I can't even do a meeting. So can you coach me just in my workspace? I have no interest to be a professional speaker, but just in my workspace, how can I communicate better? So anyone that just wants to grow, I love, love coaching. And it's entirely one-on-one. It is super customized. And for me, honestly, it's so fulfilling uh, because I am 
constantly doing public speaking. And even now during the pandemic, I'm doing it all virtually. And I just find it's really fun for me to take the stuff I'm learning while I'm doing it and being able to transfer to people. And then a fourth revenue stream would be the workshops. And because kind of like you, uh, I have, you know, entrepreneurial background and all of that. I love coaching and running workshops at accelerators in particular. So incubators, accelerators, any kind of think tank. I love, love working with entrepreneurs, founders, CEOs, decision makers uh, in a group session through all kind of fun simulations and games and things to improve their speaking, pitching, uh, fundraising uh, kind of expertise and skill set. So these are the four primary year-round revenue streams. I will tell you that one of the greatest joys of my life is the spontaneity of my life. So every so often, I'll get invited to do a you know, commercial for a car company, or I'll get asked to go back and do some voiceover work for uh, a, a cool cartoon that's coming out or to collaborate in a book that is being written or something. So there are other you know, one-off kind of opportunities, which I really enjoy because it, it keeps it fun for me. The big takeaway for me from this is uh, literally you can't make money just as a keynote speaker. It's got to be a whole package. It has to be a whole package if you want longevity. Uh. So it is very possible to write a great book, go on a tour for a year and just ride the attention that comes from a new book that's come out. Or you can reach a significant milestone as an entrepreneur. Uh, so, you know, say Voxgig uh, gets uh, an IPO. Right? An IPO, like, yeah. So, let's say it's an IPO. Yeah. Yeah. yeah something <laughs> significant. Then everybody wants to hear from you. They're like, Richard, how did you do it? That's amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, um, and you can ride that for a year or two, but then you'd be very quickly replaced by the next company that uh, IPOs or is interesting in some capacity. Um, so I'd say if you're, you know, if it's short term, yes, you can absolutely make money. I know people are always curious about numbers. So I, I can, I'd say you should be comfortably able to do 70 to 120,000 euro a year as a professional speaker, comfortably, like without excessive effort. You should be able to make that. And you could probably do that for a year or two. But if you want to cross over, if you want to be getting closer to half a million a year, that's when you need to be having a couple of different revenue streams. Because essentially, I didn't downplay it, but I mean, like my, my work as saying I'm the speaker or host online, essentially what that is, it's a media house. Media houses can go up to millions of dollars depending on who you're working with, right? And so uh, it doesn't matter if it's... I mean, both my videographers are from Ireland. They recently graduated from college. They're young. Uh, but it doesn't matter because if your quality of work is incredible, it doesn't matter if you have 10 years of experience, if you have 50 years of experience, if you're working in a TV studio, or you've got two cameras in a backpack and you're following me as I host an event, the work speaks for itself. And so that's the, the media house itself can rival how much I earn. So essentially, I've doubled it just by bringing one person with me, double my income. Right. And then when you add the other stuff, the workshops, the one on one coaching, that's when it gets even more interesting because that can continue. I have found, mm. so especially for speakers, it's hard to get invited back to the same event. Yeah. They need fresh faces. Yeah. They need fresh faces. As a host, on the other hand, it's almost the opposite. They like having the same host, they like the continuity. So that's why I, I host an MC 
It's also because I like audiences and you just get more time with an audience if you're a host. <laughs> you don't get to talk about yourself as much. Yeah. Let's talk about the MC thing, right? Because I, I've done that. And man, it is tough. Yeah. It is. It's way harder than giving a talk. Why do you think it's hard, harder? When I give a talk, I can get on stage and I'm talking about a subject that I know and I'm, I'm really into it. I'm passionate about it. Uh, I don't even need slides these days. And it's fun because I'm, I'm getting the reactions I, I know and understand from the audience. Uh, when I'm hosting, right, it's uh, introducing every speaker, moderating panels, that type of stuff. Uh, there's like a whole bunch of information, people's names, what they do, the angles they're going to take that has to stay. It's like 20 things that have to stay in your head at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be on the ball. And then you've got a member of a panel that isn't participating properly. And you've got to figure out how to <laughs> get them engaged. Yeah. You've got to be funny. Yeah. Like as a speaker, you don't have to be funny. Sure. Right? You can be engaging, but not funny. But as an, as an MC, you kind of have to bring up the energy levels, make people happy. Yeah. It's a totally different skill. Yeah. Which is why I love it. I think it... I'm biased in this opinion, but I also do both. I, I do plenty oh, of keynote yeah. speaking and I do emceeing. I honestly enjoy emceeing so much more. And it's simply because it engages all of my faculties. Like I have to be so present and not just present Absolutely. for myself. I have to be present for the audience and see how they're seeing it. I have to think about who's backstage who's about to come on stage and how they're feeling. I have to carry the expectations of the event and why they're organizing it. So there's so much. And honestly, the work that people think MCs do, which is introducing speakers, uh, doing some continuity in between, is the smallest part of my work. That's hardly, I don't know, 7 to 10% of my prep. Uh, because what I'm thinking about is I've got a couple minutes backstage with the speaker. How do I build a connection with a total stranger in those few minutes? Like we're talking two, three minutes backstage in a Possibly stressful scenario because green rooms are not always private. So you've got other speakers as well. You've got people being distracted. You've got a mic person putting a mic on them. You've got a producer telling them what to do on stage. Uh, they're coming in from a meeting. Now they're worried because they're about to go on stage in front of all these people. Mm. And in that moment, I've got two to three minutes to make a connection. And it's important to make a connection because that's the difference between what I call a cold introduction and a warm introduction. And if you watch my speaker reels, you watch any of the stuff I do online, invariably... There is a bear hug, a high five, a massive smile, or best of situations, we sometimes sing together on stage or we'll do a push-up competition. So how do you go from total strangers to sitting on their lap, <laughs> you know, two minutes later, or total strangers to having our own secret handshake, uh, or total strangers to doing a push-up competition with me on stage in front of an audience. So that is the stuff I spend more time thinking about. Yeah, what I like about this is the the intentionality behind it. it it's about the speaker, not you. Oh, yeah. It's kind of powerful. 100%. 100%. And, and I also like... I, I think it's a difference. So when I'm a speaker, the, the main goal is to enlighten um, the audience. I mean, you're there to help them know something they didn't know before or to take their knowledge or their motivation to another level. I find as an MC, my job is to engage. It's to create empathy. It's around these things that are so much closer to the heart. So I just find that sometimes speakers can be divisive. You love them, I hate them, you agree or you disagree. Whereas an MC, I'm, I'm everybody's friend, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. I, I love that at the end of an event, I can literally go to anyone in the crowd and have an epic conversation. 
Whereas with the speaker, and if you got like 40 speakers on an event, like every audience member has certain speakers that they preferred over others. They don't have other MCs. Or it's even just seen. Everybody's seen you, right? Yeah, it's just me. <laughs> so those are some of the reasons I like MCing. Let's bring that forward to today, right? Uh-huh. The global pandemic. Yeah. Move to virtual. Yeah. You know, I'm talking to a lot of speakers, professional speakers. Um, a lot of people are moving to the virtual MC role. Um, yeah. It's becoming clear that it's a critical role. It's actually even more critical, I think, mm-hmm. than the in-person MC role. I've been to so many virtual events that are pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A couple that are good. And I think the ones that are good, the thing that stood out is that they had a great MC. Mm-hmm. That seems to be an even more vital role. Are you finding this? Yeah, so let's let's backtrack a little bit. I think anyone who's listening, you need to be virtual. You need to have a virtual offering. It's not just for the pandemic. Anyone that I'm talking to in the event industry moving forward, the language they're using is hybrid, right? Oh, Richard, yeah. I'm, sure, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you're hearing that as well. Let's unpack that for the audience, right? What is hybrid? What is the future of events? Simply said, any event that was purely physical, right now, the only option you have is to be purely virtual. Moving forward, what that means is you might be able to bring back the physical, but it's not going to be a substitute for the virtual. Another way to say it, every physical conference is going to have a digital element to it. Uh, Is it going to be an exact copy? Maybe, maybe not. Is it going to be a different offering? Most probably. And so what we're talking is people having, say, a virtual experience, but physical elements to it. Or they're having a physical experience. They're at the conference hall. They're in the uh, meeting room at a hotel or wherever. But there's going to be a virtual element to it as well. This is the way moving forward. So every speaker, every MC, you need to get comfortable with both. And now. (laughs) It's never going to go back to the way it was, is it? Well, it depends. I mean, there's some things like... The big expos that I do, right? So you got those trade shows and things. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's so impossible to replicate that online. Yeah. It, there's nothing like walking around a trade fair, going up to a booth and experiencing a new product or service. So I think those will pretty much come back to the way it used to be. Um, they will have to. I, I cannot see a virtual substitute. But for the average, say, tech conference, which I think is most of your audience, it certainly is most of what I do, is tech conferences. You know, yeah. all the big events I host, Web Summit, South by Southwest, uh, Slush, Bits and Pretzels. I mean, all these guys have already created their own digital platforms, their own, not like using Zoom and stuff, their own. And the reason for that is because this is the future. So in the future, and this is what we're talking about, because this year I'm hosting all their virtual events. Now, the question is, next year, if we go back to physical, can I get good enough that they're almost torn. Do we use Dan on stage or do we use Dan virtually? Like that's my personal goal is to be that comfortable with virtual hosting. Let's just think about it. Are you telling me that maybe it's next year, right? There's going to be a a large event. Maybe it's going to be slush or something like that where you're going to MC it virtually, right? You're going to be on a screen on the stage in front of the live audience and a virtual audience. Yes. I would hope that we're more creative than that. Yeah. And simply because, you know, these experiences don't translate perfectly. So I think there are some things... So as an MC, my, my primary job is engagement, right? So there's some things I will do with a live audience that I does not translate virtually and vice versa. 
So I'm just throwing an idea out mm. on stage. We'll have an epic time with a speaker, right? Uh, right before they come on, I might do something huge with the audience, maybe a sing along, maybe some kind of stretch, mini yoga session, uh, you know, some huge crowd participation uh, role to increase the energy. And then we bring the speaker on and the benefit for them is they are in the same room as this epic speaker. Now, backstage, what I might do, either before they come on stage or after they come on stage, I might do a special, you know, meet the speaker uh, session where virtually, because I do think people ask more questions online. This is what I've noticed is the digital engagement is actually significantly higher than when you just replicate a physical conference online. So if you look at the number of comments that a YouTube video of a recording of a physical conference gets versus the live chat that happens of a virtual conference, it is hugely different. And so what I might do is do a Q&A where people who have paid a different fee to uh, have a virtual experience can ask questions to the speaker in a way that is really uh, <laughs> scary, intimidating to do. You know, if you're in a crowd of 5,000 people, in a massive hall, it is hard to ask for a microphone to ask a question to a speaker. Yes, it is. Yeah. But if you are online, you don't know who else is watching. You don't know if the next person is more or less intelligent, better or worse looking than you. Like, there's none of those things. You just go have a question. I'll ask the question. Is it your job as MC to curate those questions? Because, I mean, if you've got 5,000 people attending an event virtually or whatever, right, that's a lot of questions. Yes. Yeah. It is. It does depend on the kind of format that we would follow like is this something via slide do or is it literally me jumping off stage and running through the crowd with the microphone uh in which case neither i nor the speaker knows what the question is sometimes i'm hosting some pretty big celebrities presidents and massive investors from silicon valley and they don't want that <laughs> we need to curate <laughs> what the questions are so yeah. it does depend on who i've got on stage but i think i think the bottom line here is we're going to see physical and virtual going together. You're going to see an audience that are simultaneously tuned in virtually and physically. This is what I am hearing from every event that I'm working with on four different continents. Uh, everyone's saying the same thing. They're seeing the power of virtual. They're seeing the audiences much bigger, but they're seeing the attention span a lot shorter. They're seeing new audiences that could not afford to fly in, participate. They're also seeing yeah. new speakers yeah. that could not afford to fly in or whose time schedules would not allow it now being able to participate in events virtually. So there's all this new learning. And what event organizers are thinking to themselves is, why lose all of this next year or the year after whenever we come back to physical conferences? So hybrid is the language of the future. Which is why for every speaker, please learn how to dominate a screen. I have done so many sessions on how to dominate the stage. Unfortunately, that's going to have to be on pause for every speaker. You're probably not going to be on stage for a while, but you've got the screen and it's a whole different ballgame. So let's dig into that quickly because that, that might be a, a good topic to, to kind of wrap up on, which is how do you present your screen? Because I'm really struggling with that one. And I, I see a lot of other people struggle with it. And as an audience member, I'm not feeling excitement or engagement from a lot of speakers either. Yeah. What are we doing wrong? Yeah. I think for most people, let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't think anyone's trying to suck online. No. 
It's just that we do suck. <laughs> I just think we're not putting in the work, right? So to be a good speaker on stage, anyone that I know who's on a major stage has done hundreds of speaking engagements prior to that. You right. accumulate every time you sit in front of your team, every time you led a family event, every time you address a boardroom, every time you fundraise, like that's all practicing how to uh, speak on stage, right? And then most great speakers have coaches and mentors along the way that help them with and refine it. We're just not putting the same work when it comes to screen time. Just because you can click to join a Zoom meeting doesn't make you an engaging speaker on screen. And that's what most people do. They go into a virtual conference like they would go into a Zoom meeting with their kid. Like That's just not the way to prepare. So what I did at the start of the pandemic, I honestly did not know what would happen with events, but I wasn't going to sit down to the side. And so what I did is I started doing the daily show with Dan Ram. And what that was is literally putting on my camera and every single day for 40 days, I interviewed a friend of mine, right? And through that process, I learned so much. Like you can even watch the progression of the daily show. The very first one was done on Instagram live, right? And there was, there was nothing by the final one. We had 50 artists from five continents around the world performing a benefit concert with pre-recorded content, live content, polls, fundraising, raising money for all these nurses in these hospitals. We had uh, sponsors. We had partners. Uh, we had text coming on screen and all of that within 40 days. And it's simply because I did it every single day. So every day I learned something little. You know, it was, it was not, uh, I didn't just jump from zero to nothing. I really like this. That is awesome advice. You weren't doing that all on Instagram Live, though. No. Change platform? No. The first one was Instagram Live. And I realized after that day that Instagram is the only platform that does not really open source with the other platforms. Huh. So then I found out that I could do LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter via Periscope, and YouTube all simultaneously. So there's, there's a lot of these softwares that can simulcast. So you can look that up, simulcast. Mm-hmm. And and you can just using one platform, you can go on four or even more platforms uh, at the exact same time. And Instagram is the only one that doesn't. So that was literally daily show number two was no more on Instagram because I realized I'd be locked in just the one audience on Instagram. By daily show, I think number seven, I learned how to make some branding on the screen so that it was clear that this was a show, you know, and the daily show with Dan Ram. And so um, it's just about learning daily. And during that time, I was doing podcasts just like this one. Thank you again for having me here. Absolutely. Um, and you learn a lot through the through podcasts. I started doing YouTube collaborations, Instagram collaborations. It's just about learning. Just keep trying, keep doing it, and then observe, see what works, see what doesn't work. Yeah. And be willing to step out of the comfort zone. Because I think it's too easy to just switch on your cameras on your desk. Like, why not change the angle? Go out of the office, like sit outside in the backyard, see what that does. Does it change the dynamic? Try standing. Why always sit? I mean, no one made a rule that you should sit and look at a camera. So try standing. Does that change the dynamic? Try not being on the screen in the beginning like why not do something interesting and make an entrance just like one would on stage like just try stuff 
Some stuff will work, some stuff will not. But everything from confidence, charisma, energy, everything is different on screen. Everybody knows that, but people are not willing to figure out how does one create more energy on screen? The simple example, I use my hands a lot more on screen than I use on stage because on stage, the audience also have the rest of my body to, you know, that so body language is so important, right? When you're on stage and they have a lot of visual cues when you're on screen, they really only see facial expressions and shoulder movements. So it's much harder. I have a lot less to work with in, as far as creating energy. And that's where the hands come in. And I don't use my hands up to my face. <laughs> if you can visualize that, imagine like a Zoom call. When I'm on stage, my hands are not to the left and right of my face. Um, but when I'm on screen, my hands are. And there's a reason for that. So you just have to keep practicing and trying stuff. Wow, this is really encouraging, Dan. I mean, it's, yeah. So we have to kind of get out of the zone of I'm good at in person on stage and I'm bad on screen. There's no silver bullet. I mean, you, it just boils down to you have X many hundred hours on stage. Uh, you just got to put the work and the time in on screen. Wow. Absolutely. You have to put in the work. It's like so many other things in life, right? It's a, it's just a JFDI thing, really, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I, and I do want to say, if you, if you feel disheartened or discouraged, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I totally understand. It is hard. And I told you this at the top of the uh, podcast. I lost a lot of opportunities. And for me, it's not just the money. Like these are relationships. These are teams that I like working with. These are communities that I engage with, right? Because I come back year on year to these events. And so I lost so much. And for sure, I struggle with it as well. And I thought to myself, you know, well, like, how do I add value? Is there any value? Is there, are there even going to be events? I think what's worth noting now is sometimes the bottom of the pit is the best place to be learning again. And so like, let go of any of your fears, preconceptions, or even like, oh, I have a great website that is perfect for hiring me on stage. Well, you're not going to be on stage. So what can you start doing about being hireable on screen? And it is a hard shift. I mean, it wasn't easy for me to be, uh, <laughs> it wasn't easy at all to be in my bedroom with a exposed light bulb staring at my face uh, with none of the gear, none of the equipment and none of the team that I'm so used to working with and doing it all on my own. It is so dissatisfying. It's also really unfulfilling to interview someone on screen when I know the kind of chemistry and connection we have when we're having a cup of coffee in real life together or on stage in front of an audience. Like it's, it's electric. And yeah, this yeah. Is, is so much less. So I totally get if it feels like a mountain that is too high to climb or it's just not worth climbing. But I will tell you this, as someone that has transitioned from physical to virtual conferences, I am seeing the light in it. I am seeing new forms of creativity that even I didn't know. I've never worked with a green screen on stage. Never had to. I do now. Yeah, yeah. I never had to work with overlays and lower thirds I didn't have to work in multiple cameras because now I treat it more like a TV show. I'm also able to fulfill a lifelong dream of mine. I've always wanted to be a late night show host. So for those who are listening in Ireland, you know, Ryan Tuberty, I've been, I've been a, a guest on the show a few times, but I've never got to be him. Uh, but for any Americans who are listening, you know, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, I love all these guys. I, I learned a lot from them. Oh, wow. And okay. I've always wanted to be them. That doesn't make sense as an MC on stage, but all of a sudden, 
it makes complete sense in a virtual setting. You can democratize this. That's fantastic. Oh, wow. And so now I'm able to do that and I'm able to work with cameras. And so there's so much positive creativity, positive growth that is connected with adapting to the current situation. Um, so be daring, like step out. If I can help you with that, you know, not just you, Richard, but... I'm feeling excited again. Good. <laughs> yeah, that is fantastic. Right, Everybody can, can be Jimmy Kimmel. That's amazing. That's a fantastic insight. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You were a DJ before, so... That's true. This stuff is kind of fun for you, but uh, doing it in the video format. Right, okay. So bottom line is, uh, yeah, it's new. The old skills, you know, you got to accept they're not going to get you through. Uh, this is a time for learning, experimentation. Yep. That is, yeah. I'm feeling more positive. That's awesome, Dad. Thank you. Good. Good. And for anyone listening and for yourself as well, Richard, like I can help, please reach out, right? Because I, I, I really know what it is to kind of lose uh, the opportunities and the connections and also look into the future and go, I don't know how I can add value into the space. But I also made that shift. And so I, I have a couple resources totally for free that I've just written about like everything from the physical, like how does one set up a camera and everything properly, uh, just with the home setup, uh, all the way to how does one prepare? Because preparing for stage is very different from preparing for screen. And how does one engage? And engaging on stage is very different from engaging on screen. Uh, and all of this stuff. So I'd be happy to help uh, whether you're a speaker that uh, has made a livelihood from being on stage and now wants to figure out how to do that. Or if you just have to pitch or present uh, virtually and you want to up your game, get in touch. I'd love to help. Wow. Okay. Well, that's the rest of my day gone anyway. <laughs> uh, Dad, this has been, uh, yeah, it's been energizing. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking to you. So welcome. And thank you for doing what you do, because I think these kind of conversations are so important. One thing I realized is this journey can be quite lonely. People are usually quite private about how much they're making as speakers, how the business of speaking goes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, I don't feel like it's my personal mission to uncover all of that. But I'll just say in my own life, I'm very transparent. I would love to see more great speakers on stage. It's good to know it's possible, right? That's the big thing, right? And it's very, very possible. Everything you see online um, and what you see of me has been built in the last three years. Uh, three years ago, I was a very different person. I was not on stage speaking. So if I can do this in three years, you certainly can as well. Anyone can. Dan, thank you so much. That is really inspirational. Take care. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com slash speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. 
If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, simplecast.com, who helped make this podcast possible. Till next time, remember, take a deep breath, pause, and step forward. Step forward.